Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. <laughs> hey, Todd. Hello, Mark Middleton. How are you? I'm well. Did you hear what uh, uh, President Donald Trump said to President-elect Joseph Biden as they're passing each other in the hallway of the White House? I don't. Uh, pardon me, please. <laughs> Terrible, absolutely <laughs> terrible You're that I have to work in conditions like that. <laughs> it reminds me of this article. Uh, you were uh, looking for a memory card to record this on. And so I was looking at this article about how um, it's how six scientists survived, quote, living on Mars for a year. And it's about um, this uh, experiment to get these people living in a dome for a year, you know, as practice for yeah. living on Mars and just reading about it looks like there was one, two, three, about six people living in there, three women and three men. And just and it looks like it's going to be a documentary of some sort, but just about their having to live in a tiny space with five, five other people with no escape and no. And it just sounds like my nightmare. Uh, that would be terrible. Yeah. And oh. it, well, you did that on a submarine. I, it is. To, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> uh, only 230 people built on, uh, in a tube built to hold 180. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty radical. Pretty awesome. Um, and and happy Veterans Day, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, people have this romantic notion of like going to Mars and how glorious that would be and and you'd like I step out my front door and I see grass and trees and fresh air and and sunshine and all, you know and I'm like I have before me something so much more habitable and palatable <laughs> and interesting and I can take a walk in nature and not be in a spacesuit and you know I can see greenery and animals and and all those things you know. Yes, as someone, I, I've realized I've, I've realized many things about myself and what makes me crazy over the years, and one of them is that uh, always needing some sort of escape route, whether or not I use it. Like you know, oh, I can step outside if I need this, or you know, I can take a walk, or I can I can get out, or I can be by myself. Like all of that stuff is important to keep me a little more sane, and I just can't imagine feeling that trapped somewhere right. oh, just yeah. sounds so terrible yeah, it's it's bad but there are other people what were you watching when when i tuned into our zoom yeah, meeting so right now it's 125 and at about 427 they uh we have about a 50 percent chance of the launch window being opened up for the spacex uh uh dragon 2 basically the second mission that they've had with uh, the crew. Uh, uh, this will be the first operational mission of a crewed Dragon capsule uh, of uh, SpaceX launch. So we've got four, uh, four astronauts that are going to the International Space Station for the next six months. And uh, so they're currently driving between the uh, suit up area and they're now arriving at the pad at uh, um, I think it's 26A or whatever it is, the, uh, the launch pad for... I am the, shocked that under Elon Musk's control, they did not launch at 420. <laughs> totally. You hear he has uh, now, a substantial case of COVID. Uh, Elon oh, Musk does has, he? Yeah, he does. Uh, and he, When did he get that? Um, it, he, there was an announcement yesterday, I believe, on his Twitter. Because wasn't he, he's one of those, this isn't real type people? He's been uh, definitely. something. Uh, he's been very critical of the government, uh, you know, imposing their laws on his human rights, uh, 
to go to work and be safe and everything. And uh, he I was going to say his his human right to force thousands and thousands and thousands of his employees into unsafe working conditions, <laughs> which I'm sure is behind this because he wants to open his factories. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so he's going to launch it. Let me see what his uh, thing says. It's all about worth reading Shakespeare. Does it say Shakespeare? He said um, Shakespeare at entropy. Oh, he said Jeez. he said yesterday. Um, and yeah, I, I don't see it. But anyway, it, but he, he announced it yesterday, I believe. Interesting. Wow. It's I mean, I remember when all of this started and I felt there was there was some moments like in maybe April and May, like as kind of the quarantine was becoming a real more of a reality and stuff like that and i remember i would be laying there trying to fall asleep or whatever and just feeling the inevitability that i will get this and i haven't had that for a while and i don't have it now even though cases are surging and i think that's just the different i don't think either I don't think either state of mind is correct. Either there's no way to not get this or I am not going to get this, but it makes this far into it. Like I have thankfully not gotten it and, and have tried to keep myself safe and like that, but there is an interesting amount and you'll hear people that are getting it. Now I have a friend in South Dakota who shock surprise has it. And he was like, you know, you just feel like up to this point, I've I've done a good enough job that I have not got it. Therefore, you know, you just have this weird feeling of like power and control. Right. Whereas and it's so it's just so hard. We are debating. Uh, there's a, a, a debate in the the Middleton Beatty household right now <laughs> of um We've got this little window of opportunity at the beginning of December to take a little bit of a break and take a, a vacation uh, because of our work schedules and the the load that we've been carrying on work. And so we're talking about doing a little road trip to Palm Springs and staying at a place in Palm Springs where we can really not be in contact with other people and bring in our own food. It would have a kitchenette. Uh, and and kind of be doing the same level of risk, if you will. Like we yeah. may have to go to a grocery store, but we would do that with all the precautions that we would do it here. Yeah. And but we would never go out to a restaurant, you know, or you know, go to a sports game or you know, it's just right. like none of those activities and we're not going to meet Go, with a group of people going going to your heavy breathing convention <laughs> the the uh cpr testing on humans <laughs> convention how to give mouth to mouth and so you know i i'm definitely in the frame of mind of like we definitely don't need to go why introduce any risk whatsoever and um nick but then i mean but then depending on everything else it might be safer for you down there i mean exactly. right now your county is spiking and you yep. are living next to very busy grocery stores and yep. very busy places and all of that too so <laughs> it's like i haven't had a chance to look at it i think brian sent it uh it is a let's see if i can pull it up it's called something like the COVID-19 risk assessment or something oh. like that. And it kind of gives you like where things are at and then like your chances of getting it if this and like it's kind of a, a big math equation, which I'm assuming it is like if you take this precaution sure. then your chances of coming into contact and in one in five or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we're extremely fastidious with mask wearing and we have um hand sanitizer by the front door by the bathroom we have one in each car and uh, and before we go into a place we'll 
we'll sanitize our hands after we come out of there we sanitize our hands and never touch our face all the thing you know we're, we're really fastidious and we're we're believers that this is a true threat and that um we need to take care of ourselves and others live in taking, fear live in fear and and, and give up all of your rights and give up all of my personal liberties uh afforded me by the constitution <laughs> well i mean it's it's interesting even though like things are spiking now and like i when this all started i was like super because i've never been i mean i'm a fairly clean person but i've never been like a germaphobe like constantly washing my hands and thinking things like i don't i grew up in the in the country like things aren't gross to me it's just part of your unless you know you're doing something gross but just like on a day-to-day thing i've never been that big of a thing and when this first started i was washing my hands all the time had wipes and stuff like that and that's something that for me has fallen off just because i have now either felt safer because of a mat or like whatever but that's just one of those psychological things that doesn't really match up in my head as far as what I know and believe and think people should do yet. I'm not doing it as much as, you know, all of that. And all the psychology of this is just as fascinating as like what the actual virus is. It, it absolutely is. I totally agree. Uh, But let's move on to some happier news. And that is the 50th and we won't get into it, but it is the 50th year anniversary of the exploding whale on the Oregon coast. So I think we I feel like we talked about this a couple shows ago because we did a thing on the on the exploding whale memorial park. Right. (laughs) But just it, it was fun to see in the midst of all the election turmoil and all the all the things to, to see that story and that video. Someone had remastered the video, which it still looks crappy, but I mean, it's, it's fun to see people putting work and energy into, into keeping that wonderful story. It story is a alive. timeless, like Oregon, yeah. Pacific Northwest classic thing. You hear about the exploding whale and the, um, the Columbus day storm and all the, and, and like the, flooding of delta park uh all with like <laughs> all whispered in the same breath right uh that's funny so anyway yeah we won't cover that much more if you inexplicably have not heard about it from our show or from anywhere else go go look up the exploding whale of, of the portland coast and it's well worth your time watch the video but in its entirety still so great that pause telling somebody this week the pause between the explosion and then the sounds of raining chunks of blubber followed by screaming is just so, so perfect. Just thudding whale blubber destroying everything in its path is so fascinating. Rancid whale blubber. It's not like fresh. <laughs> that stuff had been sitting there for a while. Oh, still smell it. Anyway. Um, but there's a little bit of follow-up to one of the stories that the Northwest and, and kind of the rest of 2020 has been following about our murder hornets. So they did find that nest in northern Washington uh, that they removed. And uh, when we first when we first reported on the story, uh, they had not yet um, looked into the contents of that uh, nest. So entomologists at the Washington State Department of Agriculture said the first nest found in the United States is small about one-fourth the size of some found in um, Japan for the uh, giant Asian hornet. Uh, The Blaine Washington nest had 776 cells, uh, while in Japan, usually they have 4,000. But here's what's concerning. Nearly 200 queens were found inside the Blaine nest. Now, this kind of highlights my lack of knowledge about anything in the bee and wasp world. And I'm wondering what the usual percentage of like an irregular honeybee nest. Like it seems like queens are kind of like the golden ticket thing. Like every totally. once in a while, one pops up and then starts a new thing. Like it seems like having that many queens that would seems, only. That seems very weird. And and so, interestingly, uh, or coincidentally, I watched uh, like a little mini documentary on how queens are made. Um, <laughs> It might have been a TikTok video, actually. Uh, <laughs> the queen was doing silly little dances to somebody else's music. Uh, and uh, in in standard American honeybees or the European honeybee, um, when um, the the workers establish 
they they make a couple new queens and they uh there's a process of fertilization and stuff that uh and nutrition and, and nutrients that go to create a, a queen but they they create two or three and then when they are hatched they battle royale until <laughs> the last queen is standing and she becomes the queen wow and so I can you imagine, imagine being born and then instantly uh, being involved in a fight to the death <laughs> What yeah, a so wild ride. What a wild ride. And so to have 200 queens, I, I imagine that maybe hornets have a different process. It must be, but it seems like that's like too many cooks. Like you need to pick one leader else yeah. like you just anyway. So they found 200 queens, quote, a relatively small nest like this able to pop t gross pop 200 queens. It does give one a little bit of pause because potentially each of those queens could be a new nest next year, said Sven Schweiger the WSDA management entomologist. So after mating, queens leave the nest with a goal of creating their own colony. Um, Schweiger says, as far as we can tell, we got there just in time. Uh, when they came back four days later to finish the eradication, 76 of those queens had hatched. So um, inside the nest, here's the, the breakdown of what was inside the nest. Um, six combs. 776 cells, uh, which each cell can hold one developing hornet, six unhatched eggs. I don't know what the difference between a cell. Oh, the cell holds the uh, the developing hornet, I guess. So 190 total larvae, 108 capped cells with pupae. Uh, pupae is the next stage after the larva. Uh, 112 workers, nine drones, and 76 queens. Um, and 108 queens still left in the capped cells. So, so freaky. And I, yeah, I wonder if that's maybe as hornets are developing new areas, they just sort of mass send things out. And then after that, maybe there's not as many queens developed. And when, when you were watching your thing, did it make it sound like the worker bees could make the quote unquote choice? to make it like it was up to that, them to create I, the new queen that that's what i understood but i interesting we should we should dedicate we should learn episode. about that before we just start <laughs> talking about that stuff we don't know crazy i bet that's how it is <laughs> i don't know uh anyway so yeah it'll be interesting to see if we find any more um hopefully we kind of that would be crazy lucky for us to fa have found like the one nest and stop it there but right? hopefully Hopefully that's the case. Um, why don't you take this next story? Speaking of TikTok yes. and your obsession, I love TikTok. <laughs> uh, TikTok says the Trump administration has forgotten about trying to ban it. Would like to know what's up. So the deadline to sell U.S. assets expired this week, and TikTok has filed a petition in U.S. Court of Appeals calling for a review of actions by the Trump administration's Committee on Foreign Investments in the United States, or CFIUS. <laughs> the uh, the reason, according to the company, is that it hasn't heard from the committee in weeks about its imminent deadline for parent company ByteDance to sell off U.S. assets over national security concerns. So, uh, so um, we, <laughs> yeah, we has, all know has what the, the user here. end of this changed or been affected no. at all? Not zero. No, not okay. a, not at all. And they're doing it just. Yeah, they're TikToking just as much as they were before. <laughs> um, the we know what the reason is behind the whole ban was uh, the Tulsa, Oklahoma rally had purported. Uh, so Trump was going to have a big rally, and um, everybody said, "Don't have it because it's in the midst of COVID, and please don't do it." Uh, they were having it indoors and and stuff. So TikTok. Uh, TikTokers took to the airwaves and they signed up for all of the tickets and the tickets were there was no validation there was no price you could just go on the website and order a ticket and so more than 1 million tickets were uh, acquired and so the Trump administration was super pumped about million people showing up so they had a second stage set up outside they had a pre-show they had all, all this stuff and it turned out that 
about one third of the arena was full. Zero people were in the overflow. Uh, the pre-show was canceled because nobody showed up. And, uh, you know, and so instead of a million, they had several thousand people show up. And Trump was humiliated. And uh, within seven days, he announced that TikTok is being banned. Ah! And then other things came up, uh, you know, like uh, the loss of the election and stuff. And he's forgotten about TikTok. <laughs> so I know that there are some very legitimate concern, security concerns and data privacy concerns through TikTok. Is, yep. Now, is that something that was kind of inflated as opposed to like other social media apps or are there still, I mean, this the, still is a Chinese owned company. Yeah, the com complication is, is anything that is Chinese owned uh, generally has Chinese government ties. Uh, there isn't a big separation between Chinese individuals uh, and the Chinese government in terms of access to things. And so if, you are the you know big Tencent company or whatever. You are technically an arm of the government, and so anything that they have access to, the government has access to. So if you install TikTok on your phone, uh, it will have some level of access to your location and app usage of your other apps on your phone, uh, perhaps if you allow it uh, those permissions and. Uh, you know, so location, age, uh, you know, your dance moves and all the <laughs> things that the the Chinese government is very interested in. And uh, and so I if guess you I I guess my question, especially after watching uh, that social dilemma documentary and blah, 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 um, and all the information being harvested from our phone. And I'm I'm trying to think and it's perhaps due to my own naivety. And maybe this is more of a question for not nerd. Um, but like what, I mean, and I get there, like when I'm doing something on my phone, they're probably know what it is, but like, uh, is there all this other data that I'm not like, like what possibly else could they know about my life except my location and like what, yeah. like, um, if they know that you are a 23 year old, uh, soldier in the U S army, uh, and you have that app on your phone and a good percentage of the, uh, there, there's a lot of sailors and army folk that are doing little dances and everything. And they've been now told to, at least on Mark's feed, they have. at least on my feed. And, <laughs> and so, um, that's an example of a national security situation right. because now you know where these people are, uh, you know, they the if they're going on their boat getting ready to deploy they're going on a uh, c-130 to go to a different location you know those kind of things uh and so it, i think it's the pervasiveness of the app in our our national sectors have um it gives unprecedented exposure and information about all of the humans in the United States or or a sampling of the humans within the United States and what they're doing and where they're doing it and and uh, things like that. Right. Interesting. So I was this is kind of kind of on the subject, but off the subject. I'm watching this really great docu series on uh, HBO called McMillions. Uh, and yeah. it's about the um so when mcdonald's used to run the monopoly promotion kind of like safeway and and all those stores do now um they ran it from like 1987 to 2001 and from i forget what i said now but i believe it's like from 1989 to 2001 every single one of the winners was rigged and they had no idea until like some random FBI agent, you know, in the fraud division picks up the case in like 2005 or whatever, and they start unraveling. So this docu series, six part docu series, about the unraveling of like how in the world would it even be possible to do this? And um, one of the things that they do since it took place in um, in the 90s and stuff like that 
is, you know, they do the FBI thing of trailing people and, and tapping their phones. So they listen to all of their phone conversations. And I'm wondering if, if you, if tapping a cell phone is a thing, I mean, like, I know you can probably get into someone's phone maybe, but is it, could you like how we used to be able to tap someone's phone? We hear all incoming and outcoming. Like, is that a thing that the government can do as easily as it was with landlines? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's as easy as sound lines, but um, or, uh, landline tapping as, as it was back then in copper. Yeah. And like what Apple has done to prevent access, you know, all of the transactions. So like iMessage on Apple is, is basically impenetrable. They've wow. hard, hardened the security. And so sending a text message is secure and you have to have either the person's face or, um, or their passcode in order to access their phone to get those messages. And um, so it, I, I don't know and they would they definitely wouldn't tell us if right. uh, if there was <clears throat> anyway yeah that was just a thought that occurred to me because we used to just be able to tap phones like that and I think that's probably a whole a lot more difficult now as, as much as other security has gotten better as far as cameras and recording devices and all that that is probably an area that's a little bit more difficult to navigate because of companies like Apple just saying screw you to the authorities when their authorities want to go snooping around in people's phones and, and all of that. So interesting. Uh, well, in this story that I found because I needed some news stories to talk about, the Deschutes National Forest prohibits pooping and partying in fragile caves. So camping, chalking, which is, you know, drawing on the walls with chalk, pooping and partying are damaging the homes of many plants, animals, and insects that live in Oregon's caves. This new set of prohibitions combines several rules made to protect the caves throughout their years while adding new restrictions. So caves in the Deschutes Natural National Forest have for decades had a fair amount of abuse from graffiti to garbage to human waste. Um... Lava River Cave near Bend has been closed this year, um, and even so, people have been treating it, quote, like a latrine. So they're talking about um, how long it takes to clean these caves and finding 50 pounds of trash and graffiti and ways to clean that. So um, the Deschutes National Forest saw a 66% increase in visitors from 2013 to 2018, uh, which coincides with the steady population growth in Central Oregon. Um, so that's adding a strain on some of the natural wonders. So now they prohibit fires, camping, smoking, tagging, chalking, slacklining, glittering, which I'm assuming <laughs> is just throwing glitter on everything, oh, uh, Jesus. and more. So <sighs> anyways, don't poop and glitter in our national forest caves. Seriously. Have you ever been to ape cave up by, uh, yeah. Mount St. Helens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I um, need to do that again. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, don't poop that's, there. Don't. Yeah, it's just uh, just outside of uh, downtown Cougar, Washington. Yeah, that's uh, right. Which, which has population? A, if you're yeah, there, six or right. one. <laughs> um, All right. Why don't you try to take this next story? Uh, the shortest of monkeys. Or do you have? Do you have uh, other oh, stories? Oh yeah, I've got this? stuff. Yeah, okay, well, then I'll take this one. So a okay. shortage of monkeys has slowed down Eli Lilly's COVID-19 antibody partner. Uh, so testing a molecule on non-human primates is often a crucial final step before things can be moved into a clinic. But a confluence of factors had resulted in a shortage in both the U.S. and European uh, markets just as drug makers were scrambling to put their programs through trial. So just days ago, the European Animal Research Association brought attention to, quote, a growing shortage of purpose-bred. Wow. How's that some marketing speak? A shortage of purpose-bred macaque monkeys. So there's, I need a purpose for my macaque. Um, let's see. 
One of the main bottlenecks is how China, who is a main source of the monkeys for medical research, has banned the export from breeding facilities since the beginning of 2020 because of the coronavirus. Uh, research monkeys, they added, are subject to strict rules in handling and transportation, including quarantine and personal protective uh, equipment, blah, blah, blah. Uh, how much do you think macaque would uh, run you, Mark? If you wanted macaque... <laughs> 2500 what, what would macaque cost you? 2500 Uh They are $10,000 now, which is wow. double the original price. So um, they are, yeah, they, this may just be the beginning, said a virologist at Harvard. Um, and I think we're all preparing for them to be significant delays. So yet another thing that is kind of slowing down. Another, <laughs> I'm such a child, another thing to blame the rampant COVID virus on macaque. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true uh, <laughs> um, uh, researchers at new uh, n-e-u a joint venture between tohoku university and hitachi tohoku uh, university and hitachi have developed a prototype toy robot controlled directly by your brain wow in collaboration with toy giant bandy so this uh, robot called a Zionic Tech Techniques is a toy designed to help teach science and technology to children. And so they made a way to interact with the toy by linking the user's brain to a mobile application dedicated to the robot. The solution consists of, of a sort of a headband placed around <laughs> the head of the user, and it integrates a brain activity sensor capable of measuring blood flow to the front of the brain and electrical activity and then uh the more intense or less intense you can control uh the uh some simple functions of the robot it's not super advanced and uh but there used uh, in, in kind of similar to this there used to be this video game that i had that was like sponsored by deepak chopra uh, <laughs> that what you you put sensors on your hand and it measured your biorhythm electrical stuff and so you would like control the floating of a balloon by focusing on uh like the intensity uh, you know did and, it work it it did work you could control things uh and and so they they're now adapting that to a headband to a robot I don't like that at all. <laughs> oh, that's all that's I got. so weird. What's that? That's all I got. Oh, <laughs> and and we're done with the show. No. <laughs> we're done. Uh, well, uh, also, I was going to talk about the um, the SpaceX journey, but um, that's uh, we kind of did that at the at the beginning. Yes, so yes. They're still um, they're now loaded in the capsule and putting on their seat belts. Okay, is there a, is the fifty percent chance because the weather right now are weather. they shooting from Cape Canaveral? Yes, they are. And that is oh, true. and isn't there like another another hurricane on hurricanes. its way, or is it just can we just count on a series of hurricanes yeah, until the much. end of time? Exactly. I, do, uh, I don't know. Wow. So I wanted to talk about today. I was I was watching something I think on the on the YouTube channel called Defunct Land, which oh, uh, is an awesome channel. Yeah, that goes into a lot of the history of like Disney theme parks and and so, every once in a while a couple of other things like the action park thing they've done. Um, but it a lot of time focuses on on Disney stuff, whether it's specific attractions or like the fall of Euro Disney or whatever. And during that, um, it was one that was talking about a community that when uh, when Walt Disney was proposing Epcot, Epcot wasn't as it is now, which is the big ball, you know, future of tomorrow thing or whatever that is. Epcot was going to be a community. And this is different than I believe it's called Freedom or there's there is an actual Disney town that I believe was built and like it's a real place with residents and stuff like that. And that that's not what this was. This was like specifically a community that did not have roads that did not have. It was Walt Disney's vision of this perfect place for people to live. It never got built because it was right. Uh, I believe right before uh, Walt Disney died, but as they were planning it and they got very far, 
the more they planned it, the more Walt Disney kept making these restrictions of, well, I don't want roads, so people will have to walk. And I don't want people to be able to do this, so we need to do that. And eventually it got to the point where people were only going to be able to live in this town, even though it was a residential, you know, town for like three months a year because if you live in a place for more than three months you are you get residency and with residency becomes voting rights and a say in how your town is and walt disney didn't want to have any of that so it was like people had to rotate in and out and like he just wanted absolute control of this quote-unquote utopia which is always the dream of like oh once i control things you know, then we can have utopia. But uh, uh, in this, I'm sadly not going to talk about that today, which is pretty interesting. So I might do it later. But um, in that video, they also uh, mentioned some other corporate towns. Uh, and there's a lot of towns in the United States, like in the Midwest and stuff like that, that were you build a factory there, you know, and then a town springs up and blah, blah, blah. And, um, one of those places was called Fordlandia. And the reason Fordlandia got my attention is because it was not uh, it was not a city in the industrial United States. It was a whole town created deep in the Amazon forest by Henry Ford. And it's something I'd never heard of before. And you can you can go if you want to go. And um, there's still buildings and remnants that are there and but is now totally uh, defunct. And so I was I wanted to find out a little bit more about this town. So Fordlandia, uh, Henry Ford uh, in 1927 promised to transform the world. So uh, Henry Ford, of course, wildly successful entrepreneur. Um, his car factories are doing gangbusters. He invents the assembly line. Uh, and he also, Henry Ford, introduces the idea of what they call now vertical integration, which is a fancy word for we are just going to buy this company that does this thing. So like if I need a bunch of aluminum, I will buy the aluminum company and now I own the means of production and blah, blah, blah. So you kind of buy up your suppliers. Um, and Ford was able to do that and kind of pioneer that, but they could not get... Um, their hands on the rubber industry because a lot of that was coming from like Thailand and Sri Lanka and that was under British control and so Britain had and at that point we were getting rubber like actually from rubber trees it was a natural product that we were kind of like cork getting out of trees and I think a lot of people forget that rubber and latex come from trees uh, not not as much anymore clearly and we'll get into that but uh, at then and so we had the explosion of automobiles which all need rubber tires and so Henry Ford does not like that he can't control the rubber industry and so starts out to build his own rubber monopoly in the middle of the uh, Amazon rainforest so in 1927 uh, the Ford Motor Company bought a tract of land the size of not Rhode Island this time uh, but the size of Tennessee, which was 2.5 oh, wow. million acres in the Amazon rainforest, and not like on the edge, like this is down the river. Like even today, you would have to fly into, this is all in Brazil. You would have to fly into Brazil and still take an 18 hour boat trip to where this place is. It's that like remote in the middle of nowhere in the rainforest. Um, so it's also 2.5 uh, million acres is, is kind of roughly the size of Yellowstone, which is maybe a little bit easier to grasp than Tennessee. Uh, so depending on how you like your measurements. Mm. Uh, so that was his attempt to uh, he wanted to build this town to uh, grow rubber trees. And he also wanted to export the middle American life from Michigan to Brazil. So he renamed the village of Boa Vista, which is Portuguese for beautiful view to Fordlandia. So um, the other interesting thing about Henry Ford, and we've talked about this too with Elon Musk and, and um, some of these other people who are just like true as Steve Jobs, true visionaries, but who also like Steve Jobs, I'm not going to see a doctor. I'll eat red fruit and that's all and I'll live forever. Right. Like those crazy things and trying to explain to not only a visionary who can kind of see things before they're possible 
it's hard to tell them that they're wrong when like I'm Henry Ford, like I invented an industry. I'm Steve Jobs. Like I I've been right all of these times that everybody has told me I am wrong. And so part of visionary is kind of making some of these big leaps that don't work out. Um, but he also had a few things that super crippled this project. So this is 1927. Henry Ford didn't really like, and this, this is kind of echoed here in 2020. He didn't like experts or learning from history or <laughs> learning from the mistakes that many other people have got. So as he wants to export a city and start a rubber tree plantation in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. He consulted no plant experts, no crop experts, no one with any history in rubber oh, trees, no. no one with any history in plantations. Because at this point, Henry Ford's success has come from streamlining and efficiency and, you know, factory what we think as factory work like line factory right. work and so he wants to export those ideas to do the same thing um so uh, henry ford quote felt that quote what people of the interior of brazil need is to have their economic life stabilized by fair fair returns for their labor paid in cash and their mode of living brought up to modern standards so he wanted to export that idea too um the ford motor company brought electronic appliances, sidewalks, and Cape Cod-style houses based upon Michigan's, uh, upon, uh, Michigan to Fordlandia. 9,000 acres of the dense forest were cleared between 1928 and 1934. Much of that lumber was useless due to excess of moisture and hardness. Um, the, same t the same types of trees seldom grow together in the Amazon with one single acre containing dozens of different types of trees, which made clearing much more difficult and did not allow um, the Ford Motor Company to get the returns they thought they were going to get on all the lumber. Um, so they basically just plow down a giant section of this forest and build houses based on houses in Michigan instead of the types of houses that are built in the rainforest, you know, up off the ground with mm -hmm. thatched roofs, all of that. We just like imported middle middle America, Michigan to to the middle of the rainforest. So um, let's see. So by the 1930s, the physical plant, uh, which they had to bring everything in, uh, had an extensive and com uh, comfortable employee housing, schools with Brazilian teachers using Portuguese. Um, uh, so a lot of these locals were work uh, workers were local, but then they also brought uh, workers from America because they were paying everyone double normal wages to come live down there. Okay. Um, so there was a, a hospital with a modem. Oh, wait, a, with, I was going to say. Wow. With modern, excuse me, <laughs> sophisticated <laughs> equipment, a power plant, sanitary water, 30 miles of road, uh, a sawmill, five soccer fields, movie theaters, telephones, water tower. Uh, the water tower is still there. You can go see that in some of these buildings, uh, along with plans for a city of 10,000 people. Um, so another problem that Henry Ford had uh, because of his, uh, his slave to the notion of efficiency and time and condensing all these things he was not a person that thought in seasons which uh. is something that you need to do when you are starting a plantation and since the main thing here was they wanted to grow their own rubber trees and then you know manufacture their own rubber out of them um, so multiple times Henry Ford ignored the seasonal calendar and instead pushed forward based on his own personal calendar and the <laughs> desire to make things happen. In Henry Ford's world of manufacturing efficiency, speeding up time was all that mattered, whereas in agricultural world, the seasonal calendar must be adhered to, of course. So um, the company found it easier to burn the land rather than to clear it as originally planned. Uh, so... Because the Amazon rainforest is, you know, a huge, a huge variety of trees per acre, like we said, to mow it all down and plant only one thing causes a bunch of different problems. And one of those problems is um, insects and blight, which uh, like the rubber trees, 
before the rubber trees, which do grow, uh, a type of do grow in the Amazon rainforest. But because they're so spread out, it keeps the bugs at bay and it keeps all that. But now when you concentrate all of that into one place, it does not work. Rubber trees also like a lot of space to grow, which did not happen because, of course, efficiency means you cram way more of it into one space than you should. And so the bite and the blight and the bugs uh, completely devastated the crops. Uh, it also is supposed to take eight years for them to grow rubber trees into something that can produce rubber. But since long term goals wasn't really the style, um, that also caused a problem. So uh, let's see. They uh, clear cut the forest, burned the underbrush, and bulldozed everything flat. They depleted the thin layer of soil and nutrients on which the tropical forest depended. So the Amazon is a rainforest. Whereas, and I, I keep forgetting that this is the definition of a rainforest, where the forest itself creates the rain. Uh, so by cutting oh. down the trees in hopes of in, uh, introducing machine-like predictability, the Ford Motor Company may as well have created a desert. So rubber had grown wild in the Amazon um, until then, but of course, when you uh, densely close it, uh, put it together, it has become a problem. So... Um, Despite the company eventually building a cafeteria and a hospital in the first two years, 92 people died from malnutrition, snake bites, malaria, and yellow fever. Um, <laughs> while the, the, the workers did have, Oops. Henry Ford also had this idea of cradle to the grave paternalism, which I believe is a different word for like, if you, you come to work for us at 18, you will retire with us with a pension, sort of like, we will take care of you right. your, you know, your whole life type of an idea so they uh, a lot of benefits were provided to the workers like free homes free medical and dental care well this sounds like socialism uh free medical care and dental care recreational facilities and wages double or more than what they would have received elsewhere uh, so those benefits ranged from soy milk provided for babies to burial in the fordlandia company cemetery uh, soy milk was provided because henry ford despised dairy cows calling them quote the crudest machine in the world, <laughs> which is a, a weird hang-up to have about a cow, but I guess, Seriously. like, <laughs> calm down. Um, so, uh, let's see. Hor uh, Henry Ford pr pu uh, pushed a healthy diet for workers, which they did not always appreciate. Prohibition was, pop was probably the most unpopular of Ford's policies, and the enforcement was not successful, so... Like workers would go down river and like hide stuff or like hide drinks in their watermelons. Like of, of, it's never going <laughs> to work. So, but there was all these like underground things to have all that contraband that was not allowed in um, in Fordlandia. So another part of the problem is that uh, when you work in agriculture, like not only do you work uh, seasonally and according to the season, you work during the day according to when it's best to harvest or to deal with with different things um so like during the rainy months workers might not even work at all they would just rest um and because the best time to harvest the latex is in the morning because i believe they said like you and you tap a tree for latex which is weird right. i guess i've never thought of that before but i think during the day uh, as the tree heats up, the latex gets kind of higher and higher in the tree and becomes like stringier and harder to use. So the best time is like from 5 a.m. to noon. And so like that's what the workers were doing. But because Henry Ford is like, but that that is not efficient. The workday is from 8 to 5. And that is the only times we could work. He would like make them work at times that didn't make sense for what they were trying to accomplish. Um, so things finally boiled over in 1930 over a change in the cafeteria system when workers wrecked the cafeteria and rioted with guns and machetes and some even shouted, kill all the Americans. Uh, the rebels proceeded to cut the telegraph wires and chased away the managers and even the town's cook into the jungle for a few days until the Brazilian army arrived and the revolt ended. Um, and it was all like because something about how now the workers had to get their own food where before it was like served to them. And apparently that was the that was the last <laughs> the thing that broke the camel's back was having to get their own food. Um, so the Ford Motor Company believed the riots 
of course, we're do we're brought on by professional agitators who like is no. literally just the Antifa of the time. No. <laughs> uh, Henry Ford, of course, was opposed to unions as he felt, quote, people can be manipulated only when they are organized. Wow. Um <laughs> After uh, the, it looks like the Brazil, one of the Brazilians in charge of the area berated the rider saying, you better get down on your knees and thank God for the benefits of the Ford Motor Company. So kind of an unhealthy work environment, wow. I'd say. <laughs> um, so the initial, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but the initial project manager for the whole thing was a man with no agriculture experience. And so when they were picking it out of the 2.5 million acres, he chose a hilly, rocky location, making rubber cultivation and erosion control difficult. Um, that manager soon quit, and then more and more and more would come and then quit because they were not getting results and they were not, like, what they were trying to accomplish, again, was not what they were trained for. Um so let's see. Uh, by 1929, so out of all, they not only tried to like mass plant all of these rubber trees, but they were using a stock of rubber tree that was kind of subpar because Henry Ford didn't want to buy the expensive stuff from who he thought was the enemy. So out of all of, in, in that first couple of years, out of all of the rubber trees planted, how many do you think died per, a percentage? A percentage. Yeah, uh, probably 80% died. So 95% of the rubber trees planted were dying or dead. Uh, half the timber that had been cleared for lumber was either burned or wasted. So finally by 1933, which is a good you know five or so years after this was started, the Ford Motor Company finally hired an agricultural professional who was named James Weir. So uh, he pointed out that the plantation was too hilly and rocky and wanted to move everything. Um, and use the high-yield clones from Asia for bud grafting. So um, he brought 2,000 stumped buddings from Singapore uh, to plant, and um, they wanted to move the entire plant 30 miles away into a place that was um, better suited. So they uh, planted, planted the seeds there. So um, now we are in the late 30s. And we are getting to the early 40s. This plant is not working out. Things, things are not being produced. There's been revolts and stuff like that. Um, by 1940, due to the fear of Asian rubber supplies being shut down because of World War II, interest increased in alternative sources of rubber. Uh, unfortunately, in 1941, the United States realized expansion was not practical uh, since due to the eight years required to grow rubber trees, it would be almost 1950 before that would help. Um, during the war, the Ford Motor Company sold the um, plant in Michigan to Russia, which is strange. In 1943, the United States finally developed synthetic rubber. So in 1943, it was <laughs> after their crops suffered, quote, the worst caterpillar attack in the, in the state of Brazil that they were in. Uh, synthesized rubber is finally invented, which means that we don't have to produce actual rubber trees anymore to produce our our rubber so that reduced the demand for natural rubber ford's investment opportunity dried up overnight without producing any rubber for ford's tires um and that's that second location was also abandoned so in 1945 henry Gra henry ford's grandson henry ford ii sold the area uh, comprising both towns back to the brazilian government for a loss of over $20 million, the equivalent of $284 million in today's money. And despite of all this, Henry Ford never visited either of those towns. Oh. So, <laughs> uh, so while you were, were talking, I was flipping through uh, pictures, modern-day pictures of oh, yeah. uh, Fort, Fordlandia, and it's it looks to be a little little town there's a a few items you know a few open things there's a church there a little grocery market and a playground and things but there's tons of the the big factory building that's just dilapidated and yeah uh, the old homes that are just crumbling and falling apart and yeah and, and it so does look exactly really like if you take a little midwest yep. industrial town and put it in the yeah. rainforest and that's what well, it still looks like crazy so, 
Yeah. Wow. So totally fascinating. Just and and just again is so interesting that someone can be such a brilliant. I mean, almost he was basically a futurist. Like this is the way we will yeah. produce things in the future, and yet be so like. I don't want these stupid professionals. I don't want to do it the way that nature tells me. I have control over it. Like how they can also just get catastrophically bad ideas. Right. Right. Oh, wow. But yeah. So super fascinating. Huh. I have a feeling uh, Henry Ford, uh, from what I, from the other things I was watching about him last night is just also a super fascinating character who also, of course, hated the Jews. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So maybe we'll look into him more later, but yeah, just totally fascinating. I'd never, I'd never heard of of Fordlandia before. I've heard of other kind of company towns like that, and and but not this this one in the Amazon. No, not jungle. at all. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that at all. It's yeah, so. really, really interesting. Anyway, that's all I had for today. Cool. Um, and they do, uh, they spell Fordlandia, which. Um, which is the Landia part is is Portuguese, which is interesting. I've never under I've never realized that that and they have not an umlaut over the A of La- of Landia, but it's the um, kind of the triangle, the the top part of a triangle part. You know, like above the A, there's a, and I don't know what that thing is called, but Fordlandia. Carrot. It's called a carrot when it's by itself, but I don't know. What. Oh, on top of it. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. On t- so it looks Swedish on first on first glance because of that, but yeah, super fascinating. Um, and now I think just locals kind of took over the town and just sort of lived there and lived in some of the older buildings and stuff like that. So it's a circumflex accent. What does that mean? Oh, that's what the uh, thing is called. It's the carrot on top of a letter. Huh, circumflex. That's something else that I don't know anything about. Is like what you call all those official glottal stops and like fricative this and yeah. baas and faws and <laughs> anyway well mark thanks for taking the time Yay. to totally. join me today uh have you been enjoying uh our we we enjoyed i was it last night uh night before two oh, nights ago uh, yes exploding kittens i was thoroughly confused the entire time i was playing you invited me to play exploding kitchen kitten kittens which is a game app that i guess the closest thing i could think of is uno but also if you didn't know what any of the cards on uno meant or did it's <laughs> pretty much it yeah so there's a uh, lot of cards that were like pooping on this guy and like <laughs> there'd be a bunch of I'm like what did colin make this game what's going on <laughs> yes uh yeah we we are enjoying playing in our household and so we're trying to get other people recruited in so if you are a player of exploding kittens uh on the app store either in your um android or ios device uh drop us a line and we will include you in our games yes yes that was that was fun we'll have to do it another time here when i'm not busy uh eating 10 pounds of hash browns like i was last night when nick nice. was like come do it i'm like i'm frying my hash browns <laughs> so anyway uh find cool. listen to us on fun employment radio blah 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 go check out the unipiper stuff uh, we'll be doing Annex Portland at the movies at the end of this month, so stay tuned for that. Other than that, maybe I'll play some old Ford commercial or something, unless there's anything else that we think we should be taken out with. So, uh, I used to have one of my uh, business partners at a former venture was the auth- one of the co-authors of the song uh, "Have You Driven a Ford Lately?" And, wow! And he basically. Uh, snorted uh his way through the 80s and early 90s on that song and he would just once a month he'd go out to his mailbox and be another six grand yeah they call that mailbox money for those residuals wow and the fact that i can still have you driven a ford lately yeah uh and so there's music i found uh a number of years ago uh got it cool it's fun Cool. All right. Thanks again. Have a good week, Mark. Uh, We will talk to you all later. Indeed. Bye-bye. Have you driven a Ford? Then you don't know what you're missing. 
Have you driven up?